And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper. He's done it! And time, and time again. Crank up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. The cops sucking the ball into the net, being the star of your own slow motion montage, late 90s baggy sleeve syndrome, and football chants you just don't hear anymore. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is just £1 a month for 12 months. Get all our great content on the app and listen to podcasts like this ad-free. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up before Friday the 4th of December. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 46 of the Cliches Pod, officially the number one football podcast in Estonia. So uh, to all our listeners over there, Paeva Lupuks, Clive Erlen Ulaku. I'm Adam Hurry, and with me once again is Charlie Ecclesher, um, fresh out of a Jose Mourinho press conference. What did he have to say about Marine? Uh, he said all the right things. He said he was very excited. He? he said he grew up watching the FA Cup. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> there was, I think there was an incident last year where he'd said about a game he watched and we worked out the age he would have been compared to what he said he was. And it, and it completely didn't tally. Um, but I think he just got his games muddled. But yeah, that he, um, yeah he, he made all the right noises. We're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Marine uh, shortly, but uh, to introduce our, our other guest this week, he's with us for Mesut Harland Dix. He comedian, actor, retro shirt collector, and co-creator of the genuinely wonderful podcast, The Socially Distant Sports Bar. It's Ellis James. Hi, Ellis. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm all right. I, I feel like I feel like we we should have I feel like we should have been friends for like twenty years. I feel like, I feel like, we like I've known been... you for twenty years without yeah. having. Yeah, I feel like we should have been at school together. In fact, yeah, where Wales or or Surrey? Wait, yeah, Wales, please, not Surrey. <laughs> let's, Fine, let's, let's go one thing straight. Yeah, that's okay. When did you first get into football history, if I may ask, Adam? At what sort of age? But perversely young. Okay. Because I mean, all I had were sort of history books and VHS tapes of football that was about ten, fifteen years before I could have been watch that football live so yeah and um, that's my grounding yeah I think I could probably name a lot of first 11s from just before I was born yeah it feels like useless information knowing about football before you were born do you know what? it's very good uh when you're chatting to your dad's friend at a barbecue 
<laughs> and it's also very good when you're talking to taxi drivers. Yeah. Um, it's uh, very good if, for some reason, you're doing a temping job in your early 20s mm. and uh, there's a bloke uh, also in the office who's maybe moved over from a different sector or industry and he started oh, yes. again and suddenly you can discuss uh, with confidence that Derby County team that reached the European Cup semi-final under Brian Clough. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, as we, as we gathered a few weeks ago, footballing small talk is, is the lubricant for society. I'm convinced of that. Um, we live in an era, Ellis, of when just getting it is more of a virtue than ever before. And I sense you really do just get the spirit of this podcast. So it's really wonderful to have you here. But um, we have some important matters to get through, gentlemen. It's the adjudication panel. Charlie, first of all, a fascinating infographic popped up on my Twitter feed this week of the most popular football shirts by US state. Your typical suspects, uh, Lionel Messi, Ronaldo and Christian Pulisic tend to dominate proceedings. But there are some outliers. In Oregon, Sadio Mane is the most popular football shirt. North Dakota, Bruno Fernandes. South Dakota goes for Leonardo Bonucci. I don't know what's going on in the Dakotas. Alaska has Marcus Rashford. Hawaii, Anthony Martial is the most popular <laughs> football shirt. But in Vermont, Charlie... Delhi Alley is the most popular football shirt of all. Mm. What's going on in Vermont? I know. I know? really, I feel I've really failed to do my homework because I haven't actually got to the bottom of of why that is. <laughs> I also did. Did you guys, when you were looking at that, feel a little bit uh, exposed as to not knowing necessarily which all of the states were? Um, I kind of looked. Oh, I had, I, I had to Google a map. Of yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it wasn't yeah. a kind of um, which, which, given I had stared at that CNN map for like five days solid fairly recently, it clearly didn't. Uh, Stick in my mind. Uh, yeah, Deli Ali, who would have thought? Huge in Vermont. I, 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 just, I fear there's some sort of data collection issue here rather than anything truly fascinating, Ellis. Um, could you shed any light? I mean, you might, I mean, I presume you've been to Vermont in your Deli Ali shirt, so just tell me all about it. Yeah, and what a welcome. <laughs> as, as soon as I walked off the plane in my Deli Ali shirt, I was getting free coffees. I didn't have to pay for the hotel. I was very dismayed not to see some of the American players I remember from growing up I'm mm. sad that no one in Connecticut uh, is seemingly buying Alexi Lamas mm. t-shirts who was the American Jeff Agus. yeah the American footballer um, when I was growing up I I don't know I did Deli Ali I wouldn't have assumed that Deli Ali was he's just so Vermont though isn't he yeah, he's very Milton Keynes and he's very Vermont. Huge Vermont yeah. vibes. It's a shame, Alice, that you did do that because that was an athletic feature, I think, waiting to happen, you know, sort of going to Vermont. Oh, definitely. And, I don't think I've ruined it. I hope not. I think it's definitely yeah. still going to happen. Go to Vermont yeah. and yeah. Uh, watch a, a Spurs game with some Deli Alley ultras. Yeah, definitely stay tuned for that, everybody. Um, but that, that leads us on to um, well, a related subject, really. I mean, having stared at a US map for so long at the start of November, Charlie, um, the result of all that is that Joe Biden, uh, according to The Telegraph, faces a race against time to be fit for his inauguration, which is a wonderful piece of football speak. Um, there was a caption underneath a photo on the front of the Telegraph says that Biden broke a bone in his foot while playing with his dog, leaving him facing a race against time to be fit for his inauguration on January the 20th. I, I don't think I've ever heard of a race against time to be fit in any other than a sporting company. <laughs> I know, it's so good. And I and I wondered, I mean, had a few thoughts. One was like, is it the metatarsal? Is it the fifth met- The dreaded metatarsal injury. <laughs> yeah, I think it the is. Dreaded. God, I mean, that's that's the last thing you want. And it's just going to, yeah, he'll, they'll play him before he's ready and it's just going to overshadow everything and also i wondered if there'll be a kind of yuri geller equivalent to you know <laughs> rubbing everyone rubs it oh, i think they probably do have that in a minute i imagine they Actually, do, they'll, do they'll have, have plenty yuri yeah, yeah. 
yeah. And also, but the, the time span is perfect as well. It's about mm. six weeks, which is exactly the uh, the excruciating time span that a metatarsal needs to heal before something massive happens that they need to be fit for. But Ellis, I mean, do you imagine? I imagine that over in the US they're now hastily compiling sort of lists of top ten presidential freak injuries. <laughs> There's also um, scope for more of these cliches. You know, it's the mm. presidential merry-go-round. Uh, it's a covid war chest there's all there's all sorts of scope but yeah the thing with the thing with biden it's it's he's got the david beckham injury Mm. and all of all of our hopes rest on his shoulders in the the same way the english fans have their hopes pinned to david beckham in 2002 i hope he actually does do the inauguration but but uh, commentators observed that he was patently not Mm. match fit (laughs) just yeah he has to be taken off like three quarters of the way through the speech and, and replaced by Kamala Harris. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to do some research in, into this and see if there were any other kind of um, innocuous presidential injuries. And it's just all assassinations. <laughs> There's way more assassinations and, and assassination attempts than you could possibly imagine. Like pretty much one in every three presidents have have had a you know a tangible attempt on their life. So there, and there, there have been no freak injuries. It's all just um, bullets. Jimmy Carter and the bottle of mayonnaise, as we, we, we all remember in 1978. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, what is becoming a, well, a weekly feature on this podcast now, Ellis, and perhaps is now perhaps not long for this world, which is the in-game Premier League swearing of the week. Let's hear it. Well, hold it. <laughs> Into Michael I that was really good, really good football chat. Ellis, this is, this is the best. This is the best swearing we've had in the COVID era, right? Where's he from? Rob Holding's from Bolton, Bolton? I think. I was going to say because yeah. there's a it, real. It wouldn't lang- work in any other accent, would it? It sounded like rugby league. Mm. <laughs> yes. Bill, like bloody brick shit house. <laughs> I think just to enhance the appeal of all that. I mean, on its own, it was it was a wonderful piece of swearing, Charlie. But I was on tenterhooks after that, as always, just waiting for the commentator to apologise for it. And then and the, they had a brief analysis of the foul from Don Goodman. And then, then it all went a little bit quiet as the ball was pinged around the pitch by Arsenal at the Emirates. And uh, commentator Bill Leslie didn't say anything for ages. And I thought, OK, he's, he's winding up for a big apology here because it's, it's a very special bit swearing. And he didn't apologise. <laughs> Sky Sports, Bill Leslie, Ofcom, are you listening? Did not apologise for the blatant swearing by Rob Holding. Um, on uh, whatever night it was against Wolves. And uh, so, you know, if Bill Leslie gets sacked, ah, sorry. Um, but, you know, I feel like a duty to point it out. But overall, just a wonderful few seconds of, of Premier League audio there. And uh, when crowds come back, I feel like we may never hear any of that again. But the biggest news for me this week, in, in a football cliches context, Ellis, was um, the third round draw of the FA Cup, Tottenham drawing Marine. This... This, I feel, this is the last stand for the magic of the FA Cup, isn't it? If we can't nail it here, we're never going to nail it. Did you say, Charlie, that um, Josie, when he was talking about watching the FA Cup as a youngster, there was mention of a round where it doesn't tally with his age or he can't have watched it because it doesn't, the, the, the chronology of it doesn't quite add up? Yeah, this was this time, this was ahead of last year's third round. I can't remember the details, but it was one where. You know, a tale of kind of growing up and watching, say, Ricky Villa, but the age in which he described him 
it couldn't possibly have been that. So I think there was some muddling in his mind. <laughs> yeah, a, a bit like when George W. Bush was asked for his favourite children's book and he said it was The Hungry Caterpillar. People worked out that it wasn't published until he was 24. <laughs> it was wonderful a moment for people who like to count the league places between two teams drawn against each other in the FA Cup, Charlie. Uh, and the total number, it appears, is 168 at the time of publication. Uh, that's, that, that's, wow. That's proper... That's proper separation in the football pyramid, isn't it? Yeah, that is some some gap. I mean, it's a shame that with COVID protocols and that sort of thing, it may it may be moved because uh, it would really? be well potentially. Yeah, if they can't satisfy, you know, make sure it's uh, COVID secure because that setting is just so BBC. Uh, yeah, it's just perfect, isn't it? It's got Jonathan Pierce's well, commentator written all over. Yeah. It. With a lovely yes, football focus feature before. Yeah. Speaking of the kind of the aesthetic appeal of this of this potential tie at Marines Ground, Ellis, I was straight onto Google Street View to do a little bit of research here, and I wanted to find if there was a viable tree near the ground that people could potentially <laughs> climb and watch this game from in <laughs> traditional FA Cup fashion. I got round the three sides of the ground, and I I couldn't find one, and I was I was in real trouble. And then I finally I got round to the front sort of corner of the entrance and there was a tree right on the corner and it just looked perfect and I, but zooming in on google street view i couldn't quite find out what tree it is i had to, I had to message my mum. i messaged her a screenshot and said do you know what kind of tree this is and she said well it's difficult to see without seeing the leaves but i said if i put a gun to your head what kind of tree is this because we need to we need to assess its structural uh, vibe and she said adam adam she what said, is this <laughs> <laughs> yes stop <laughs> threatening me again <laughs> again <laughs> Well, she said it was almost impossible to say it could be a field maple, lots of twiggy branches, which I don't think is conducive to, you know, more than three people scaling it to watch. And then in a final twist, Ellis, uh, the Athletics man on Merseyside, Simon Hughes, said he he might be wrong, but he thinks the tree is no longer with us. Oh. Google Street View is out of date. Oh, wow. What a crushing blow. There are no trees next to Marine's ground that people could climb and watch it in summary. Because... Um... The COVID restrictions have brought watching from a tree back, especially in the Welsh <laughs> In a big league. way. There's, there's, there's some great pictures uh, from the Cymru Premier of Carnarvon Town fans climbing trees <laughs> to watch their team, the Oval in Carnarvon. And a lot of them are still bothering with the Stone Island as well. I love that. I'm going to scoot him scarf to watch a game from halfway up a tree. I just think there's some things you just cannot kill off. It's a great vantage point. So, I mean, I hope it all comes together. I, I really hope that tree is still there or they've they've replanted it in the last year and it's grown magically, Charlie. But, um, but yeah, fingers crossed. Well, at the Vetch, uh, yeah. Swansea's ground in 2005 with the North Bank, where I used to stand, and then the, uh, the away end. And because yeah. there were two distinct stands, there was a, a gap, obviously, between, and the Vetch was um, in the Sandfields area of Swansea, so, you know, surrounded by terraced housing. Mm-hmm. And there was a terraced house in between the North Bank and the away end, and people used to watch from milk crates. And that was right up until two thousand and five. A family had they they effectively had a season ticket. They'd never bought for it. They'd never paid. For it. <laughs> They'd been on those milk crates for decades. Yeah, I mean there are subsections to um, 
sort of opportunist watching of FA Cup ties. I get like watching it from a nearby kind of apartment block, scaffolding or, or something. Yeah, mm. um, just not quite as romantic as trees. No, I think we can all agree. Um, a raised knoll. Wasn't mm. there? Didn't Filbert Street used to have some quite good vantage points? I seem to remember. I think uh, there was like a gap between stands and a, yeah. a hill or something. Up, yeah, up to about 1940, uh, men in bowl hats on the roof of the stand. How did they get there? Yeah, they're there? very precarious. Yeah. I yeah, I would like to see the fatality rate for watching games from the top of the roof of the stand. Anyway, elsewhere in the FA Cup third round, Charlie, I mean, it, it's it's a very FA Cup third roundy list of ties, but which is the most FA Cup third roundy of all? Canvey Island slash Boreham Wood v Millwall reeks of the BT Sport game on it. <laughs> yeah, that's the early Saturday. BT Sport game. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's a bit, you know, the Diet Coke of yeah. giant games. I can actually, I can see, um, I can see the abbreviation of those teams' graphic in the top left on BT Sport already <laughs> in my head. And similarly, Ellis, I I think if you're looking for the most BBC One 5.15pm game of all in that round, it's Manchester United versus Watford. It's already, I, in my head, it's already been played on BBC One at 5.15pm. Yes, slightly disappointing. Mm. It's got a really big team, but a big team, you know, who aren't in the best of form. Watford, mm. I've never met a Watford fan who's not from Watford. So you think, <laughs> yeah, I will watch it. Yes. Because <laughs> it's, it's on the BBC. You feel obliged to watch live football on the BBC almost regardless of who's playing because it's like a treat. It's like when there's a feature film on, on BBC One, like maybe a premiere. You may have seen it on, on Netflix or whatever, but you're going to watch it anyway because it's like, oh, it's, it's a treat. It's been handed to us. As a defender of the licence fee, I will be watching <laughs> Manchester United versus Watford and I will be tweeting about it. I mean, Wolves Crystal Palace feels like a game where both teams will make nine changes <laughs> as they focus on as they focus on the battle for ninth in the oh, Premier right. League. Right, so you think this um, will be the this will be the kind of lightning rod for people who care about weekend teams in the FA Cup? I think you might be could right. well be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can imagine it, Nuno it just going. To it. I I don't care. I I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to play Daniel Podence at right back. I don't care. I'm going to play that guy who used to play futsal, whose name I've forgotten. Um, I'm going to hand him a, a you know a start, that sort of thing. And you but, know yeah, what I they're going to say right. about Money United as well? No. FA Cup success could hand Solskjaer a lifeline should they get through this tricky third round tie against Watford. And then it'll be a shot of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer chewing gum, looking serious. Mm. Well, I, it's a trophy, isn't it? It's a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, that's silverware, and you don't turn your nose up at silverware. So, um, yeah, it's a trophy at the end of the day, isn't it? There'll also there'll also be that. Speaking of like mm. phony war controversies, there'll be the thing about United always being shown. I mean, I know that run ended, yeah. but it will it will reopen that thorny debate yeah. about what it takes for I United not to I get it though. I mean, shown. the numbers tell in the end, don't they? I mean, if you were going yeah, to broadcaster, it. you put on the thing that most people are going to watch. I kind of get it. And there are you know there are fifteen people who broadcast the FA Cup now, so uh, I, I think everyone's going to get their their day in the third round sun. Another instalment in in what this podcast really is all about, which is football speak and expressions of football depictions of football creeping into wider society ellis um the front page of the telegraph business section today uh depicts the demise of debenhams I, I can't even remember the last time i went to a debenham so um as i don't know if i'm even the target market but anyway regardless of that um they depicted uh, the demise of debenhams in a very unexpected way apparently the uh, the total shop floor space of Debenhams as it stands is 13,628,740 square feet. You may see where I'm going with this. And they decided to depict it in the um, equivalent of football pitches. 
stacked Why? on top of each other. Who does, I don't know. Who it's does such a roundabout help? way of doing it. And and the caption read, they think it's all over. And then, they, and then it was just kind of this tower block full of football pitches. And apparently it's 177 football pitches. But I don't think anyone now has a better grip of the Debenham story because they can mm. imagine it in terms of football pitches. <laughs> Yeah. No one's like, they, well, actually, 12,000 jobs, I found that quite difficult to quantify. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what, what is it? Give it to me in terms I can understand for crying out loud. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's the first rule of journalism, isn't it? Giving it to me in rules I can understand. Yes. I mean, football fans get an area of a football pitch. People who play football will understand the area of a football pitch. Perhaps less so 177 of them, Charlie. But do you think, do you think the general public can grasp the size of 177 football pitches. Do you think it makes any sense to them? Given they probably wouldn't know how big a football pitch is. Mm. And as you say, even if you do know how big a football pitch and you're very familiar with that, trying to then picture 177 of them kind of packed on top of one another. Yeah, so, yeah uh, stacked on top. It, it, it doesn't work. It, I mean, it was, a, it was a very nice graphic. Don't get me wrong. The designer had done a very good job. It just, it, the logic had gone. But I mean, Ellis, I mean, there are other kind of standard units of measurement when it comes to this sort of thing. And uh, I calculated that the the 13.6 million square feet of total shop floor space at Debenhams is 0.0061% the size of Wales. Oh, of course, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Whenever Wales doesn't get used, I find myself getting a, li- a little bit annoyed. I remember there's been a letter in, in the broadsheets years ago. Someone had described uh, an area of rainforest being burnt as an area the size of Belgium. And somebody wrote in and said, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's the size of Wales. And it's either smaller than Wales or it's bigger than Wales. (laughs) It's never Belgium. No. (laughs) I don't know what Belgium, I don't know what shape Belgium is. I have no comprehension of what size Belgium is. But Wales, I get. And it's like measuring someone's height in inches. You could do it, but no one would be able to work that out. So, you know, let, let's let, let's stick to what we know, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with these three units of measurement for comparing things in size. Football pitches, Wales, Manhattan, and that's all I care about. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's all I need to know. Just measure it in those things. Um, but I'm glad we got all those things out of the way. That was a solid, that was a solid adjudication panel. I think we really, we really nailed those. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are on to the main event. This is Mesut Harland Dicks. This is what you're here for, Ellis. And um, I asked you to provide a list of, of things that you, you love, that you fetishise, that you find oddly charming about football, and then conversely, things that irritate the hell out of you. Uh, I didn't expect you to send me about 500 words for each one, <laughs> which is wonderful. <laughs> so let's, let's start officially with the things that you love about football. Tell me about your first one. Well, it's a very, very mid-90s one. In the mid-90s, Wales were drawn against a lot of new countries, countries that had come into being after Mm. the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the Iron Curtain. I'm thinking specifically of qualifying games we played against Albania, Moldova and Georgia and uh, usually got humiliated. So famously, we lost against (laughs) Moldova in their first ever competitive fixture in 1994, uh, 3-2. 
40 or 50 very brave Wales fans uh, went over there via Romania. Very difficult place to get to. Mm. Uh, we played Albania. We played Georgia. Got absolutely destroyed by Georgia. We just could not handle Georgia at all. And I think because that team had come very close to qualifying for Euro 92 and also to USA 94 when Paul Borden missed a penalty. Yeah. I think we were going over there expecting to win fairly easily. And they were quite difficult teams to find out to find out about. So we were often going in blind. We had no idea who we were playing. And I think, I mean, I didn't really watch England in the 90s because obviously international fixtures tended to happen on the same night. So obviously I was watching the Wales yeah. game. And I think that probably had England been playing these teams, they'd have, they would have sent out Barry Davis or John Motson or whoever, and they'd have sent yeah. out their own camera crews. But BBC Wales was sending out Ian Gwynne Hughes and Ian Walsh and they were having to make do with the Moldovan director. Now, this is <laughs> so niche. You'd have to be a Welsh fan of about my age or older to remember this. And it always looked like it was being filmed on a video camera. That's fine. Yep. Poor countries. And the grounds always used to be full of soldiers. So they, they mm-hmm. it looks very Eastern European in the already. <laughs> Um, it would be players like Gary Speed and Mark Hughes. And the commentators would often say, because we don't really know what to expect from Moldova. And there'd be lots of inferences that they would f- go to ground very easily and all that kind of stuff. Yep. They didn't like the rough and tumble aspect of the mm-hmm. British game, as if countries that had been in a civil war were sort of sort of <laughs> the, the pansies of European football. But the thing I, I always remember is that... Mm-hmm. The, uh, Ian Gwynne Hughes and Ian Walsh, they would often com- they would often complain that the um, the Moldovan director had used strange camera angles. <laughs> so, so, so Ian Gwynne Hughes would say stuff like, Wales have scored! It's one all here in Chizzy now! I'm afraid the Moldovan director has chosen to show quite an innocuous challenge from John Hartson that was two <laughs> minutes ago. I don't know why they're bothering with that. As I can see, the Welsh players wheeling away in celebration. I know they're back home in Wales. You can't see any of you watching. you thinking, but it's not in anyone's interest not to show this. I'm convinced this happened widely. I think England he also suffered for this. I mean, Barry Davis, that was in his repertoire, was complaining about foreign TV directors. Yeah. I'm sure it was, Charlie. It happened in the Champions League as well. You'd get that. Mm. Um, they, you know, they, you know we're, we are not responsible for the output. Yeah. Uh, absolutely not responsible. And because you'd get as well in La Liga, I remember really enjoying it, the fact that on uh, even on Sky Sports' coverage, they'd, mm. they'd suddenly just cut to players doing skills and flicks and things like that in a way that you would never, yeah. ever get in uh, in the Premier League. Yeah, a little sort of yeah back flicks, it, almost like the start mm. of a montage. You think, how long is this going to go yeah, on? It's yeah. like, this is completely irrelevant Quite to stylized. the game. They just lost it. Is this yeah, a nice guy? Nice. I mean... <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a cultural thing. Like we we just don't do it here. Like if you, it might it might be a little bit less so now. But yeah, if you saw a sort of lovely piece of skill, there was no guarantee that Sky Sports or, B- or the BBC were going to be flicking back to it in a nice little slow motion montage. But yeah, it's it, we've started niche, which is absolutely fine because this is exactly what we're here for. But yes, I agree. Foreign TV directors are the most low key maligned profession. <laughs> um, yeah. in the world yeah, I don't but I think I can handle the pressure I was just thinking it's some some poor Georgian bloke who's probably a, attended film school in Tbilisi and he's mm. thinking oh for god's sake Jonathan Pierce doesn't understand my art yeah, there's actually there's actually far more going on if you watch the uh, what, what I'm training the cameras at as opposed to the far more predictable 
shots of English players. Goal. Yeah, of, of, of a goal, <laughs> of a ball hitting the back of the net. So, so obvious. Onto your, onto your second, well, again, this sounds like an irritation, but you've declared it as something you particularly love about football, and it's, it's, um, it's Liverpool-related. Yeah, not a Liverpool fan. Okay. But unlike, I'm a Swansea City fan, but I think, mm. unlike everyone else who isn't a Liverpool fan, I find the cliches surrounding Anfield, the Anfield experience, <laughs> Liverpool supporters in particular, mm. absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and I, I, I love it and I love that it's every commentator's go-to I find it fascinating that these cliches don't seem to uh, they're not seemingly relevant for fans of other clubs so I've never heard of Arsenal fans being um, described as particularly knowledgeable here at the Emirates <laughs> So it'd be a cr- in this part of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they <laughs> love their football. They love their football up here in North London. They you love- just wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's definitely like a religion here thing. in North London. Being surprised that they like their football yeah. more than average in a provincial part of the UK is definitely a thing. I love and, it, and and is is pointless to say. Of course, they love their football. They're there. Why wouldn't they be there? Yeah. They're not passive. Cons- oh, they're very passive consumers of football here in this part of North London. <laughs> Look at that guy over there on his phone. Yeah, but in, Ellie- in this part of the country, it's nothing like a religion. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a religion. It's just, yeah. um, just but, they just follow a sport. But Ellis, in in defence of these cliches and, and in defence of those who who bear them out, you have to earn this status, right? You, yeah. you don't. You just. You don't earn the. I mean, the cop, for example, don't earn this. Um, kind of fabled act of sucking the ball sucking in from nowhere, the ball right? In. <laughs> we need to you talk about sucking the ball in. You don't have that stadium MK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, 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 they don't do that at the Reebok, do they? They don't suck the no. ball in at the Reebok. But maybe there's, maybe there is some science here, though, because I mean, the cop holds in in its current form, it holds about twelve thousand people. If they all inhaled forcibly at the same time, at the very most opportune moment of the ball being in their vicinity do you think it would have any effect whatsoever i don't don't think anyone's ever tried it i reckon you'd move the ball about as much as it moved prior to gary McAllister's penalty at euro 96 (laughs) Mm. that would be enough another yuri geller that would be another thing yuri i reckon (laughs) twelve thousand sucks you could move you could move a premier league issue football a standard premier league match ball Maybe an inch, maybe an inch and a half. Twelve thousand sucks. That is, that is the start of a great headline about the inside story of how the cop um, made the ball go <laughs> in unexpectedly. Do you know what? When when you when I watched us um, Liverpool versus Barcelona, the four nil, hmm. a famous European night. Yes, I don't doubt for one second. I can't deny that that there was a special atmosphere on the field. I can't deny that. Hmm. And also, you know, obviously, when you look at Liverpool's successes, particularly in the 70s and 80s, there was a special atmosphere on the field. When I think of uh, United beating Barcelona in the Cup Winners' Cup um, at Old Trafford, I think there was a special mm. atmosphere then. There have been, there have always been special atmospheres at the, at the big grounds. Yeah, Although I do remember James Lawton in the Independent 
once doing a match report from a Champions League game for Chelsea, and he said, there are far more intimidating grounds in Europe than Stamford Bridge, but still, <laughs> fantastic <laughs> opening yeah, It's good to be measured about these sort of things, but um, Charlie, on, on the specific point of, of a knowledgeable crowd, I mean, the, the crucible snooker definitely comes into that category, but uh, anything else? Well, the one of the biggest misnomers in sport is the Wimbledon centre court <laughs> thing. I mean, that that scrub is knowledgeable. I mean, this is a crowd who will laugh at net cords and yeah. rallies where there are consecutive slices. Like that, I, I just do not agree that that's a, an especially knowledgeable crowd. I think it's a particularly certain type of knowledge. It's like a, it's like self awareness is actually it's not knowledge of tennis. Like if you ask them who won Wimbledon in nineteen forty nine, they won't know. But it's 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 an awareness of the, everything that surrounds them at Wimbledon that makes them the knowledgeable crowd. But um, you touched on the point of things that they find inordinately funny, like uh, the equivalent of a mobile phone going off in a football press conference. But I think we should nail this list. Curious pigeons that won't go away. Yeah. Between point banter between players. Any sort of heroics by ball boys or ball girls. And then line judges not being killed by 148 mile, miles an hour serves. That is the full list of things that knowledgeable Wimbledon grounds find funny. Yeah. Umpires umpires saying things in a slightly odd way or shout, in a shouty <laughs> way, slightly panicked way, that, yes. that would always get a, a good titter. Cardiff Arms yeah. Park, I don't think they get it at the Millennium Stadium, now known as the Principality mm. Stadium anymore, but Cardiff Arms Park rugby crowds were often oh. described as knowledgeable. How? Why? How I does don't that know. manifest itself at a rugby game? What are they sort of politely applauding that some people might not get? Well, because that's the th- that's the crux of it, isn't it? A knowledgeable crowd, yeah, sort of spotting something that someone else might not. have It done. implies that all fifty-five thousand people at the old Cardiff Arms Park had the equivalent of a UEFA A license, whatever that is in rugby. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I've, I've been to Anfield a couple of times with with Swansea, and you know I <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. A load of scousers in the in the in the, in the cop going there. Uh, yeah, what well, people don't know is that uh, an asymmetrical four four three allows for the overloads on the specific sides of the pitch. I, I just I don't I don't know if that's happening more at Anfield say than it is at Goodison. Although I don't know if you've watched the Howard's Way film about Howard Kendall's team in the mid eighties mm. and when they played Bayern Munich in the European Companies Cup semi final at Goodison at half time. Howard Kendall said. Uh, you get the ball in the box, lads, and the Gladys Street will suck it in. Oh. So sucking in, I don't know if it, if um, that stretches to Tranmere Rovers. I don't know if it's a, yeah. if it's an all Merseyside thing or if it's just a Liverpool thing. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never heard of the phenomenon anywhere else. No, than Merseyside. So I mean, we we need to look into it. I mean, if we if we can when, when crowds are back, if we can get the experiment sorted, I'd I'd love to see it. Ellis, tell us about your third love of football. I love commentary, and <laughs> that's it. It really upsets me that I am too shit, and I will always be too mm. shit to be commentated yeah, about. And so, there's a comedian's football game usually on a Tuesday. Obviously, yeah. it's not taking place at the moment, but I have in the past. Well, when I, when I when I emailed you, I said that I've turned up early to do this. I haven't always turned up early to do this. I will often just do this in front of Andy Zotsman and Mark Steele, where I will reenact <laughs> some of my favourite goals from uh, days gone by. But the goals I choose are based on the commentary that comes with them. So my f- right. my three favourite, two of which were from before I was born, are Rush the Scorer, Dalgleish, the Creator Supreme. 
I know that through ball. I've seen it on 101 Great Goals. Yeah. I know exactly the goal you mean. And it, and it makes Dalglish sound like some sort of religious deity as well. The creator supreme. Mm. Uh, mm. The Franny Lee one. Lee, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> look at his face. Just look at his face. <laughs> and uh, Motson, the only Motson of the three. Brady won it beautifully. Look at that. Look at that. And I, it's such fun to see the ball hitting the back of the net with Barry Davis or John Motson's voice just swirling around my head. So, so to be clear, you are you are transposing this commentary over yourself playing football before yes. before you play like five a side or something. Yeah. Okay. And I would. I see. I've, I've I've played in a few charity games, but never any of the high profile ones. And I. Mm. Wouldn't play in a high-profile one because I'd be too I'd be too embarrassed. I'm too scared of making a complete tit out of myself, which I think <laughs> taking a, a sort of a long view on this would be bad for my brand. So I, I will play in an untelevised charity game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would just love to be commentated on, and I can imagine uh, when you when you interview footballers or when you see them interviewed, they often are quite indifferent towards. Um, things like match of the day. A lot of them don't watch it. Mm. A lot of them find the analysis of their performances irritating when it gets in their head or whatever. As someone who loves the iconography of the game and has done mm. since we were very young, if I if I were a professional footballer, I would I would record I would have every match of the day I'd ever been on recorded and kept in some sort of silo. I've said to Adam before at Ellis, my dream is to have all my best moments as an amateur footballer captured in a montage with kind of music <laughs> over it. And then and then like the best montage is the little bits that when it go the music goes silence and the bits of iconic commentary come out for, you know, a scuffed six yard finish yeah. in the mud and me kind of collapsing to the ground. Well this is interesting because I'm sure I'm sure there are kind of minor differences in how everyone would like like to reimagine themselves as footballers. Ellis is taking actual commentary lines and using them for his own purposes when he's kicking a ball around. Charlie, you want you want professional commentary over the top of yourself playing football properly, whereas I don't think either of those ever, would ever apply to me. I think what I used to do as a kid was make up my own commentary. Oh, That's how that into well. commentary I was. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to reappropriate existing commentary. I would try and essentially approximate it for my own purposes and make it up as I was kicking the ball around, which yes. I think I think is kind of the yeah. classic playground situation. Oh, oh I do that or, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was in the event that I just, well. in the event that I just had a ball at home in my living room where it was very much frowned upon that I would kick that ball around, I would participate in my own slow motion montages. So the ball would, I would, I would move the ball towards my own head and then head it very forcefully, yes. but in slow motion into the sofa. And getting extremely niche out now, my favourite part of creating my own slow motion footballing montages was I always wanted to be the player who would blink really slowly. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I just thought that I, I, is evocative. I, 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 I used to do I'm that. Pointing the uh, that thing which people can't see, but of the slow yeah, clap yes. and looking, kind of nodding at an a. An a an approving crowd meaningfully maybe it was my last match for the club or something and and, and pointing to other players where I want the ball but in slow motion I mean you you talked about my social distance sports ball podcast um, Mm. in the intro I discussed this on last week's show but this is true after the Euros after the Euro 2016 I was back in London and I was at the gym oh my god this is I mean yeah I'd never told anyone okay. this. I've now said it on two podcasts, on, which are on oh, fantastic. public pl- platforms. But anyway, 
obviously Wales had lost to Portugal and I was still very, very damaged and hurt by this yeah. in the semi-final. So I had a Wales shirt on, I was running on a treadmill and I don't know if you've seen Mark Walters' goal against Auxerre for Liverpool in the 1992-93 European Cup Winners' Cup where he's sliding away okay. uh, from the goal uh, and he scores in from the cop. In this sort of thought experiment I was running on a treadmill and I was imagining that I was Mark Walters but I was playing for Wales and I'd scored so we're now 1-0 up in the semi-final Ramsey is playing he's put the through ball for me and I've scored Mm. so now we're we're through to the final and I'm running and uh, I've just got this incredibly vivid image of myself putting Wales into the final of Euro 2016 and when you can't wheel away on a, well, you on can't a treadmill, wheel you away. can't wheel away in celebration because you're going to cause yourself some serious you can't damage. wheel away. <laughs> but as I celebrated with my fans, did the old Chris Gunter chin-up thing, punch in the chest, I realised that I was in tears. I'd actually, oh, I'd actually, I'd actually burst, this is way too far. actually burst into tears on a treadmill. Bloody and I thought, hell. this is pathetic. God, you I thought the slow motion montage thing was weird. That's way yeah, weird. Yeah, no, the slow motion montage thing, I, I do that all, I still do that all of the time. When does that end, though? Blinking in slow motion is a real skill. I, I really, anyone who's listening to this podcast, try it. It's fucking great to do. You really feel like you're in a professional football yeah. podcast. Do it. Big headers as well. Yeah, huge, towering, proper, thumping yeah. headers. And uh, yeah, highly recommended. The first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anyway, moving on. 
We're now, this is this is the downhill slope of this episode, I'm afraid, Ellis, because you're going to talk about the things that you hate in football, the things that you have an irrational or perhaps even tiny aversion to. Let's tell us about the first one. There is a uh, condition or a syndrome, <laughs> a phenomenon that I wish yes. had never come into play um, because it's ruined one of my favourite years of football. Uh, I like to refer to it as late 90s baggy sleeve syndrome. <laughs> Where everyone, no matter how big you were, whether you were, you know, I don't know, Andy Hinchcliffe or or, or Neil Ruddock, the yeah. sleeves were just far too baggy in a way that looks absolutely dreadful. I know that fashion is cyclical. And yeah. uh, when I started wearing flares during the height of Britpop, my father used to say, oh, you know, I knew they'd come back in. I was wearing them in the 70s, all that kind of stuff. I just cannot imagine a time when late 90s baggy sleeves will come back in because it's such an unflattering look. It's also, I think, partly to do with uh, how kit men's, or the job of the kit man has changed. So um, nowadays you get a long sleeve and a short sleeve shirt per half. So you get four four shirts per (laughs) game. Um, A friend of mine has got Robbie James, great Robbie James, Swansea City in Wales player, has got his shirt from 81, 82, and it was his shirt. So it's been patched up and it's been, you know, it's, it's been torn, but it's been sewn back together and all that kind of stuff. By the 90s, I think you got a shirt per game, but it was always large. So Dean Saunders, if you look back, looks absolutely ridiculous mm. playing for us in, in those late 90s lotto kits, which were quite baggy anyway. It's just far too big for him because he's not a particularly big bloke. I don't think it's just the size of the shirts, though, is it, Charlie? I think that there's a proportion situation going. And if I asked you to picture this this very specific late '90s baggy sleeve syndrome, what players are you thinking of? I think of the Chile team at the '98 World Cup. So Zamorano and Salas, they were huge, and I think they had a Reebok logo kind of on the shirt sleeves, and yeah. it was just everything was so massive. massive. Yeah, everything was so massive. But it's obviously. By definition, Ellis, it's kind of enhanced by tiny players yeah. wearing those shirts. So I'm thinking of Alan Wright. Yes, great Aston example. Villa. I mean, just disappearing, disappearing in his massive Aston Villa. I mean, these, again, these, I didn't think these shirts were particularly big, even on him. It was just the size of the sleeves that accentuated everything about how small he was. Jose Dominguez at Spurs, similar similar scenario. But we're talking about extremely small players. Yeah, um, John yeah. Ebrill. Yeah. Uh, Tony Cotty yeah. at the end of his career. I remember I have shirts from that era that I bought as a kid that then would fit me as an adult because in the kind of intervening yeah. 10 years or whatever, they I'd, I'd kind of grown into them. And the only thing that doesn't fit is the length of them. Like they still, mm. they will still sit above your jeans, yes, but yeah, everything yeah. else work. The neckline, the absurd sleeves, but they are just too short and therefore you can't wear them. So old football shirts, and, and bear with me here, Ellis, classic retro football shirts from that era are both the best thing you can own and also the worst, most yeah. impractical practical piece of clothing you could possibly wear. Because they just don't fit, but they also do fit. And they also are too big for you. Absurd piece of clothing. And uh, I'm really glad you brought it with us today. Uh, I watched, is it Charlton 4, West Ham 4, from about the year 2000? Mm. And it's mm. just before uh, Kappa reintroduced ultra-tight shirts which I think mm. is probably the zenith of late 90s baggy shirt syndrome. And those, if you look back, those kits are absolutely huge. Do you think it'll ever come back? How Do you think we'll ever have baggy baggy football kits again? Because I just feel, I feel like it's not conducive to high performance, Charlie. 
Yeah, it's true actually because that that did um, that coincided, didn't it? It happened in rugby as well. They used to wear those kind of old school um, shirts, and then they got those ultra tight ones. Yeah. Um, and yeah, cap, yeah, the cap ones, as you said, it's also the vests as well. Mm. The uh, that Cameroon wore, and that that caused such a stir. And was it randomly? Did Austria do it as well? It was Cameroon, I think, were oh. the first, and that was like cool. Yeah, this is on brand. And then Austria were like, yeah, we're going to do that as well. And it's like Austria talking really? of vests. Yeah. Italian players wear vests <laughs> under their shirts, even though it's hotter in Italy than it is in the UK. And how come if you're, I don't know, Perlo or Zola, you look good in a, in a vest? Whereas if I wear a vest, I look like, you know, Onslow from... Um... <laughs> so, so, so God. Um what is the programme? Uh, Birds of no, Feather? Um, no, it's the other one. Felt with one that's very similar. Keeping, keeping up, up appearances. appearances. Thank you. Thank you, actually quite young producer Phil, for, uh, for if, explaining that if to I, us. If I wore a vest, a white vest that I bought from Littlewoods or Marks and Spencer's, it would look like I'd given up. <laughs> People were like, oh, El, El stopped shaving. He's, he's wearing vests. What's that? What's that? Has he left him? What's happened to him? Whereas, yeah, when uh, when Viali wears a vest under his shirt, it somehow looks great. I've never quite been able to put my finger on that. Yeah, I know. That's, that's enough vest chat. Ellis, uh, tell us about your second um, thing that you despise about football, if that's not too strong a well, word. Well, more generally, it really annoys me that seemingly all football chants now are sung to the tune of Sloop John B., uh, by the Beach Boys, who I think is actually a, a trad R. <laughs> yeah, you know, Stoke is a shit, all I want to go home, etc., etc. But yeah. what, what's really mm. annoyed me, and I never thought this would happen at the Swans, but this has happened at all other clubs as well, is the strange death of who the fuck, who the fuck, who the fucking hell are you? Who the fucking hell are you? Which has been replaced by far more anodyne. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Mm. I just mm. think, oh, come on. Come on, who are you? It sounds it's it's like being shouted at by ch- children. <laughs> before we, I think before we analyse how and why these things have disappeared from the game, I think we need to understand the motivation for each of the individual variants. Because who the fucking hell are you? Sung to that sort of rolling tune. The general theme of that, Ellis, is basically in a in a fairly pol- well not actually that polite but in a kind of roundabout way your shit you are meaningless that's essentially the end of the yeah. it's gentle ribbing it's nothing specific as you say it's been replaced by who are you which is a little bit more it's a little bit more pointed it's a little bit too bitter and then of course you have the even more pointed and bitter one which is when a sub comes on and then the crowd will just say who at them. <laughs> it implies that you specifically are are unknown like yeah, you haven't yeah. got a Wikipedia page. That's essentially what that chant's saying. So I feel like we've gone down this. It, it's it's just it's too it's too nasty now. Whereas I think the high level, the high level piss taking was was perhaps the glory era. Or is, if is that you, fair to say? Or if you are on Wikipedia, your name's in red. Yes, and you can't click on you. you your name needs citation. Yeah, you're un, you're un, do, you're unclickable do, on Wikipedia. <laughs> 
good chant. Now that would be a good terrorist chant. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think um, if, if you're saying who when it's like replacing him is number seven, Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. who is yeah, we all can get on board with that. That's yeah. kind of you know tongue in cheek. When it is to some to some poor youngster who yeah, genuinely yeah. doesn't have a Wikipedia page, that's when it does feel a bit. That's just, that's, I mean, it, it might perform some sort of function of putting them off their game, which I guess might help. But that's it's just not the done thing. I, I feel like it's too pointed and too personal. So I I, w- I agree with Ellis. I would like to see a return for who the fuck, who the fuck, who the fucking hell are you? Um, but, but it reminded me of other things that we don't hear anymore. You don't you don't really hear here we go, here we go, no. here we go. Was that yeah. a, I feel like a particularly FA Cupy thing because like you're on the road to Wembley, which yes, just simply doesn't exist. But it anymore. was sung by football fans, and and mm. the other one that you never ever hear anymore, and I don't see why this has gone out of fashion is you don't hear the score line being sung to the tune of Amazing Grace. 1-0, I think that works. Why? Why Why is this? I don't, I don't know. Why did well, these things go replaced? Well, certainly, I mean, that was replaced by, the, uh, by Go West. Um, so oh, I guess yeah. um, that's true. That that kind of renders it obsolete. I mean, yeah. you never hear the referees a wanker. The sad demise of the referees. A wanker. I mean, that feels terribly antiquated. Weirdly, the referees a wanker, which feels like a, a timeless piece of, of of abuse, has kind of got superseded by the way more pompous nineteen fifties kind of sentiment of "you're not fit to referee." This <laughs> 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 chart because. It fails the test for me. I mean, maybe all the football charts fail this test, but no one would say that out loud in normal conversation. Well, I, I just don't think he was fit to referee today. Yeah. He wasn't fit to wear that shirt. He wasn't fit to do it. It's awful. It's cousin, you don't know what you're doing as well. Mm. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. Has, has come in. So some chants, some chants are more personal and some chants have got more polite and not actually that cutting after all. So maybe there was a sweet spot back in sort of 80s. Chance in the 70s far more... Um, they were far quirkier, slightly more imaginative. There was a, 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 mm. a song sung by Hooligans at Swansea, which presumably was sung by other clubs as well, to the tune of I'll Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim, which was a novelty hit in the late 60s. I'll tiptoe <laughs> on the north bank with my flick knife and my hobnail boots, which is quite camp. Blimey. <laughs> But you don't... Way too jolly a tune. It's that, jolly, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, very incongruous. And and you, yeah, you just don't hear very well enunciated. You're going to get your fucking heads kicked in. No, I haven't heard which, that for I mean, years. I'm sure it's a byproduct for just simply more family friendly environments, which is obviously a good thing. But yeah, it's you just don't get songs sung in unison with quite that impact anymore. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, R.I.P. Who the fuck? Who the fuck? Who the fucking hell are you? And indeed, who the fucking hell are you, Ellis James? Because what is your third? hatred of football modern or otherwise it is this this really bothers me and i like this one um this is am i i'm i'm unable to let it go <laughs> it is the poor acting specifically of extras pretending to be football fans <laughs> um i would also extend that to the poor costume choices made by the costume department so for instance mm. if you look at uh, a film such as id um, yeah. When Shadwell Town play at home, one hundred percent of the fans are in. Uh, I think it's yellow and black scarves. Yeah, um, something I have never seen. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've never ever in my life turned up at a ground 
and where everyone's wearing the same scarf, they'll all be in a replica shirt as well. And this is something that happens all of the time on really, really good productions. Yeah. And um, I remember there's a scene in uh, Fever Pitch where um, Nick Hornby's character and his mate are meant to be on the North Bank at Highbury. It's actually filmed at Craven Cottage because they've got rid of the terracing yeah. by that stage. Yeah. But there's the extras, it's like they've never seen football before. <laughs> and what, what the director's done is the director's obviously said, right, it's a big game, so uh, there's a shot and goal, so I want you all to respond to that shot and goal. So they all go, oh, at the same time. And it, it looks so unnatural. And another example that stayed with me is there's an episode of Bike Grove the 90s where they put on a play that I think is about Kevin Keegan's return to Newcastle. And at the end, the crowd i.e. the people who attended the Biker Grove Youth Club, all chant, uh, Keegan, 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 but they don't do it like that. They go, Keegan, Keegan, Keegan. Oh, like, like God. Like kids do at school sports days. And I, I, I watched that Biker Grove back, and there's a couple of young boys in the front who are heroically trying to get everyone else to go, Keegan, Keegan, like football fans do. But they're, they're being drowned out by the majority. And I felt so sorry for them, because I'm thinking, you're going to be as bothered by this as I am, because it looks bad. And football is Britain's number one sport. It's the world's number one sport. Is, is, is someone playing a saxophone in the background here? Yes. It's absolutely wonderful. I live next to uh, I live next door to Lisa Simpson. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really great. So bleeding gums, Murphy. Is that, is that a sax? It sounds like something else. Um, of all the things to, be, I mean, I'm so glad it wasn't sort of you know screaming child. We've got you know actually quite cool can, saxophone next can door. Can you imagine if it had been the bagpipes? If I lived next door to a, <laughs> a, a bagpipes teacher, but it's um, yes. In general, mm. even in production, you're 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 tapping into a kind of a recurring theme on this podcast, which is which is popular culture just getting football wrong. Um, Charlie, we see it in adverts and things like that, where they're trying to approximate the the football fan experience and just coming up with a kind of diluted, terrible version of it. And what I don't, what I find so weird with all of these is what maybe they do, but they they don't have anyone on board, you know, to consult and be like, is this does this seem realistic? Is that is this how football fans kind of operate? And I'd love that like, job. Yeah, yeah, fucking love yeah, that job. Exactly, it'd be amazing. Yeah, like getting like if, if, being on a film with some sort of you know very very specific consultant. I really, yeah. I want that job. Yeah. That's that's what I made. So for. Adam, give it to uh, we're, we're we're making the new um, advert for Ladbrokes. Is it realistic that every single person in the pub would have the same replica shirt on from the same season from the same club? Does that is that how football fans are? <laughs> I just I don't think I don't think that many young men all go around each other's houses and sit on the sofa wearing sort of River Island hoodies and all celebrate the same goal. I can't. I refuse to believe. That they're all they're all supporting the same cause. I just with yeah, Doritos it's gambling adverts. I just feel like absolutely do not know. <laughs> just um, all the lads. Yeah, just all the lads with their popcorn and their beers. Those, those gambling ones where they're watching obscure tennis matches from Kazakhstan in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, just do you fancy coming around for the, uh, <laughs> and the yeah. Qatar Open? <laughs> Ellis, uh, there was a phenomenon that you spoke to me about and you left me a three minute long WhatsApp voice note about it, in fact, but I simply couldn't find any evidence for it. So we couldn't get it into the episode. But essentially, sum it up very briefly, this phenomenon you found in mid 90s football adverts. It's library footage or stock footage that uh, sound menus in the dub, as they say in the biz. 
So if you need the sound of a football crowd cheering a goal, mm. you'd think, oh, great, I've, I have got generic football crowd cheering a goal noise here, option A. What bothered me so much in the 90s was that it wasn't generic because you could tell that it was a very specific goal because you could hear one person distinctly above everyone else going, yay! <laughs> and it was the fact that this one person's going, yay! is what makes it so distinctive and this, uh, preventing it from being generic. And also you can tell that they're using the same one. And for some reason, that really, really annoyed me. Okay. So having after you told me about this, I thought I'm going to spend the next two weeks researching this. Obviously, I didn't do that. And even if I did, I don't reckon I would have found it. But producer Phil, who has already clarified that it was indeed keeping up appearances that we were talking about earlier, has come up trumps. Let's hear it, Phil. I heard it. It's there. Oh, so my I'm being God. reunited with it. A long I heard, lost I heard family the yank- member. It's like being reunited with a really bad case of eczema. <laughs> Some, something that really annoyed me. For years, they used the same one. Mm. And then it, it fell out of fashion. And now they must have another football chair. And I'm positive as well that there have been times when there's been a problem with the sound from um, from the ground, and they've actually dubbed that on to a, to a normal goal, another goal. So I don't know why this would be. I don't know if I'm if I'm correcting this, but I'm positive that I've watched games where they're showing that, oh, we're just doing uh, the roundup from the uh, Barclays uh, Premier League, and it would be, I don't know, QPR versus Aston Villa, and they'd have that cheer on, and I could tell because they... <laughs> <laughs> can I hear it one more? Can I hear it one more? It's time? like the Highbury Screamer, isn't it, Charlie? It's, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very kind of low-budget version of the Highbury Screamer. Is there, has anyone else noticed this? There he is. There he is. Do you think it's a who he? is he? Is it a he? It's a he. Yeah. Who is he? Hmm. What's his story? Track him down. Did he get? Um, did he get any royalties? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's. Yeah, he's a very specific voice in there. Maybe he knew oh. they were recording it for generic advert purposes. And thought I, it's like it's like waving in the. It'd be like an extra waving in the back of I don't know, like Zulu or something like that, saying I'm going to get on this. I'm going to get in this. Yeah, and, it, and and it sounds like quite a fun goal. It sounds like um, maybe the balls come back off the post or something mm. because it's like ah, oh, and then yeah, oh, I'm absolutely mm. delighted slash. Slash irritated in equal measure. Incredible. To that, so. that in, in the dying minutes of this podcast, after after what feels like days of um, thinking about going to look for this thing, it has indeed popped up. Um, what a guy, producer Phil. Everybody can Phil do a bonus episode for on like how he discovered that. I want to. I want to kind of get a cache of his Google history. To, yeah, yeah. Uh, see how long that took. God knows what the Google. I don't even. I mean, I didn't know even where to begin searching for it. So um, let's just thank Phil. Frankly, Ellis, thank you so much for sharing your your incredibly niche loves and hates <laughs> of football. Um, we do have one piece of, um, well, just wonderful stuff to finish with, as we say goodbye. They're known as the Boys of Snowdonia, but what was their official Welsh name? Because I can't even begin to pronounce it. Hogiaruifa. Hogiaruifa. Boys of Snowdonia. It's actually the Boys of Snowdon. That was a bad translation I gave to Adam. Hogiaruifa. 
who were a male vocal group, very popular with my grandparents. They had all of was the she? records. <laughs> say with with my peers. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. My my my, gran- my my grandmother had all of the records. Loved Hogiruiva. Complete coincidence that this this just popped up on this very week when we have one of the most famous Welsh people I've ever heard of on the on the show. So in 1989, Ellis, uh, they released an album with such mournful sounding song titles as Christmas. Who knows? Give the grief a glance, an old man on the bridge of Bala. But there was also this, titled simply Maradona. Oh, there's that noise again, in fact. <laughs> Worlds colliding. This is incredible how this episode has, has somehow come together. And we found that sound again. But yeah, here they are, singing about Maradona in the background here, uh, the boys of Snowdonia. Charlie, thanks so much. Pleasure to have you back once more. Uh, enjoy Marine versus Tottenham. It should be a cracker. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Adam, and thank you, Ellis. That was great. My pleasure. Yeah, cheers, Ellis. I, I imagined you fitting in perfectly into this podcast, and so it's proved. I've loved it. Thank you for having me. See everybody next week, and uh, everyone in Estonia, thanks for listening. 